This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm George Norrie, and welcome to the new iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Like us on Facebook, tell your friends, and share us with everyone. This is an exciting new network that will feature podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained. Now please sit back and enjoy Dark Becomes Light with Heidi Hollis. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. <laughs> Welcome to my show. Remember, each week this is the place you go to when you want to learn the latest in mysterious encounters, holy encounters, cryptozoological encounters, and if you or someone you know has experienced anything out of the ordinary and you want to share, you want to learn, or you want to comment, or you want to ask anything, go to my main website, which is HeidiHollis.com or ShadowFolks.com. Tell me your stories. Give as much detail as you would like, because the more details, the better. And I mean, we open up the floodgates for anything and everything out of the ordinary, because it's important to paint a picture of what is going on and what is possible in this world. I mean, how else are we going to learn about this stuff unless we break down these stories? And I mean, if you got photos, I get a lot of people who say, how do I submit photos or drawings? Just write me at HeidiHollis at gmail.com. How about that? Or through that website as well. And just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take it up. I'll take it. We'll look at it. And you know what, you guys? You are in for a treat today because I have one of the world's top researchers on the Shroud of Turin. That is the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. There is an image of a man who was obviously crucified And it's been studied for a very long time, but then it got tested for the time period from which this cloth came from. And it was shown to be that this was actually dated not during Jesus' time. And people are like, it's a fake, it's a fraud. No, 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 no. If you've kept up with what occurred after that conclusion, it was shown that it was tested from a repaired section of the shroud. How did they come to that conclusion? Well, Joseph Marino knows because he and his wife are responsible for that conclusion. 
So you guys, you've got to hear this story because it's amazing. The story on the Shroud of Turin is not over. It is absolutely unexplainable what occurred here, how this image of a man was impressed upon this cloth. Much more testing and much more work needs to be done. And Joseph Marino, he's going to tell you all about it and his story, because uh, it's something you've never heard before. And I know you're going to enjoy him. He's really, really insightful and, wow, mind-blowing stuff. But to begin with, you guys, I got a couple of your emails. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Uh, I am going to read these things off here, and I grab them randomly. I want them to be short, so I look for short ones. And uh, totally, I never read these things beforehand. I really try not to. Um, <laughs> and, and just di- dive in so you get the raw me when I'm checking these things out. And um, you just never know what we got. <laughs> I, just, I just love it. All right. Okay, so this first email. It says, Dear Heidi, I see every evening black orbs and shadow lines in my room. Hmm. I don't know what they are or what they want. Harry. Oh, well, hey there, Harry. How's it going? Uh, that's interesting. I, I don't get many people talking about the black orbs. Um, I personally had an encounter that wasn't very pleasant uh, myself. And... Being that shadow beings are connected to aliens um, and vice versa, I mean, it's it's hard to exactly say what these things are, but I could tell you what they have done to myself, um, and I've heard from others, too. Um, they seem very alien because they are perfectly round, right? And they can form rows. Uh, they can operate together or solo, right? And... Uh, but they're black. I haven't seen them personally shapeshift or anything like that, but I'll just tell you what happened. Okay, I, I know I spoke of it here on the program, but I think it was a while ago. Um, so this one night, I was sleeping on my couch, okay? I was watching television. Uh, my college roommate was in the next room. That kind of opened up to the living room right there, right? So I'm sleeping, and I hear my friend scream. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, and I wake up. And I am floating up towards the ceiling. And there was this big, big black, like, crack in the ceiling. It's so weird. It was like an interdimensional looking thing, right? And I was like, wow, you know, and I wiggle free and boom, I am dropped from the ceiling onto a futon. It wasn't comfortable, okay? Boom, onto the futon. And I literally scurried and I'm crouched and I'm looking up at the ceiling and it all in the room, all in the room, the living room. And, and, you know, the TV's on and it's like lighting up these black orbs. Okay. And oh, I get chills. And they're just like floating in the middle of the room. And then they all floated up to the ceiling. Right. And, and like lined up like perfect little rows and, and the crack closed and and these these black orbs started to fade away right and and my friend and I were both crouched down on the on the ground and we're like oh my gosh oh my gosh i could still see them i could still see them and and we didn't even want to reach up to turn like the light on to you know get a better look we're just like too scared to raise up uh, because they were some of them were still gathering up onto the ceiling and um 
it, it was it was weird. It took a while for them to like settle and fade. But we could still see this outline, like a kind of transparent outline of them. And uh, we finally just, you know, we as they faded more, we got the nerve to flick the light on and was like, what in the heck? It, it seemed like they were transporting me, um, creating an interdimensional crack of some kind, like pulling uh, time apart and um, creating this rift to yank me through. It was really odd, and it had a negative vibe to it, very much like shadow beings would, but also mechanical, um, spying even. So um, to say exactly what they are, I've heard of glowing orbs that would take people by surprise because it would be like, I don't know what this is about flying parallel to the ground, going at a very fast speed, or being like these little orby things that kind of uh, hang in the night sky and have a look uh, at people. And, and people feel like they, they're a probe, like, you know, they're too small to actually house an entity in there. But I mean, we have drones, right? We have drones where we can use a camera to spy and stuff. So you know, maybe these things are kind of like that, but they also seem to have this ability to open up doorways, okay? Um, also, when you think of uh, the orbs, the, the ghost orbs that, that people show, it's, it shows up in a lot, of, a lot of photos. They have been known to spin and to open up portals as well, okay? Um, there's great imagery out there of photos of these things doing that. Like they get together and they pull energy together and they, they're able to do things that gives you the heebie-jeebies from head to toe. Oh, yes, it does. Um, <laughs> so I hope that's helpful for you, Harry. I mean, I, I'm not uh, psychic or, or guru, but, um, you know, there there seems to be that there's a pulling together of energy with these things. So Personally, I would bless my space because um, alien or not, if you don't want them there in your home, then they shouldn't be there. You know, clear the air. <laughs> um, all right. So I want to get to this next one. I don't want to run out of time. Okay. This is another short one. All right. And this one comes to us from Robert. It goes, hi, Heidi. I know I've lived past lives. was wondering if my one true perfect love partner from my past might be again walking this earth and searching for me. Hmm, that's cool. That's a nice, warm, fuzzy thought. I like that. Also, I believe animals, pets, also come back into physical form. But I hear stories of people who come across over to heaven and meet their long-lost pets. Uh, how long do people and pets stay in heaven before they once again take earthly forms? Oh, that's a good question. I like that one. Oh, Robert. All right. Um. You know, I'll tell you, it's like I personally, I'm, again, I'm not a psychic, um, but I've had people come on this program and I wish I could remember names better than I do. But there was a researcher that came on who was an expert in reincarnation. And uh, he said in Asian countries and other countries who um, believe in reincarnation, like outright, like, I'll see you soon. You'll be back. You know, the, the proven cases of reincarnation were, it was just a few months, like, like six months, I think it was the average or something like that, of of people, past loved ones, coming back into human form. Isn't that something? But Western cultures, you know, us people who have these thick skulls who don't like to believe in such things as reincarnation, it's years, sometimes decades. Isn't that something? 
So because we think that we should wait for others on the other side, that that was literally said by this researcher that we believe that, well, I'll see you on the other side. It's like, well, shoot, now I got to sit here and wait for you to come so we can have a conversation when I could have been reborn already and been your <laughs> been your baby or something. And, and it's interesting how they interchange and switch it up like that. You know, um, you know, one time you're your brother and sister, another time your your cousins, you know, it's it's really, really interesting, uh, the patterns and stuff. So um I, I think it's fascinating that you know that you've lived past lives. A lot of people question, you know, the validity of that or if you're saying that you would say something like that. But uh, it was taught before in the Bible. I mean it's there. I've spoke to a monk not too long ago who said, well, yeah, that's that's true. You know, um, John the Baptist was Elijah reborn. It's mentioned right there and it used to be taught in the church. Well, kumbaya. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad to know that. But for some reason, Western cultures just don't address those things as much as they once did. But um, we are greater than we are allowed or led to believe, you guys. I, I don't know why that is, but never question the human potential. And, and also know that God made us the way he did for a reason. We're not perfect. We're flawed. We're meant to fall down, get back up, come back again, and <laughs> recycle. It happens. But I think that there's something that's capturing souls, and that is, hello, Hatman, that is stopping the natural progression of our days and times. And uh, you know what? His time is coming to an end. He likes to call himself Satan. Well, he's going to play that role and get thrown in the dungeon and kept there. All right, you guys, you got to stick around because we've got a fabulous show coming up here with Joe Marino. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, iHeartRadio, and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. 
As promised, I have a fabulous guest, Joseph Marino, who has a BA in theological studies and is a longtime synodologist, who is one who studies the Shroud of Turin. He has research, written, and lectured extensively on the Shroud since 1977. He became ordained to priesthood in 1994, becoming a Benedictine monk as a result of his interest in the Shroud. In 1997, Marino received a call from M. Sue Benford, who informed him on her spiritual insights about the Shroud. After many discussions by phone and emails about the Shroud and other spiritual matters, he began to experience God in a whole new way. He felt powerfully drawn to leave the monastery to pursue shroud research and other spiritual paths with Benford. Marino believes that if the shroud can be shown to be the burial cloth of Jesus, it would be an interesting archaeological object. However, he believes that it's more important for the spiritual message it can bring. Most definitely. So I am excited to introduce my guest, Joseph Marino. How are you doing today there, Joe? Good, Heidi. How are you doing? Fabulous. I am always trying to follow and keep on top of the latest research when it comes to the Shroud of Turin. And it's an honor, honestly, to be talking to one of the leading researchers on this. And uh, But your background is so diverse. I mean, you want to tell us a little bit about how you became uh, the person you are it, it, as you are currently, because it's, it's quite the story. Well, I... Um... Grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, I was born and raised a Catholic. I was the youngest of five, and um, I was um, very into uh, sports, both playing, officiating, following professional teams in St. Louis, that sort of thing. And kind of thought at some point I'd, you know, they they always kind of recommend do something that you like, so you don't have to work a day in your life. I thought, well, I'll do something and in sports probably, uh, wasn't quite good enough to be, you know, professional athlete. So, you know, you start thinking about being a writer or broadcaster <laughs> or that sort of thing. And, right. I, you know, so I, you know, did a, did a broadcasting class at, uh, in college and that sort of thing, but it's, it's not as easy as it looks, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, true. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was into, into music a lot. Just, uh, I don't, didn't play anything. My, my dad was a musician, but, but he didn't leave many, me any genes to, to learn how to play an instrument. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I like the Beatles and the Moody Blues and I still do to this day. Gotcha. Still, there's still my, my two go-to bands. And um, I so saw I, out of, after high school, um, I went to college for two years. Um, after two years, you know, you have to start declaring a major and that sort of thing. And still wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, I had kind of become, you know, an agnostic like many people in those days in the 70s. And I guess that still happens today, of course. So I got a, a job with the federal government um, working full time for the, the Veterans Administration. And um, things seemed to be going okay. I played, I continued to play uh, basketball after high school and that thing in men's league and whatnot. And um, I was kind of sick of academics after my second year of college. And so I took like a three-year break from reading anything academic. And I pretty much only read the sports page and the comics. Gotcha. And then, 
Yeah, and after about three years of that, it's like, oh, you better start getting on the ball. You're in your mid. I'm in my mid twenties. You know, I got to get get going here. You know. So quite a um, background, uh, having yeah. so many different varied interests, music, yeah. sports, and yeah. and then all of a sudden you're digging into this uh, theological uh, life. I mean, how'd that come about? Well, I I thought you know I I can remember so clearly. Um, in 1972, the the uh, national collegiate championship uh, basketball championship was in St. Louis that year. Um, I just watched it on TV and I thought, isn't this great? And then it it's like I heard this voice, almost exterior voice say to me, but it was really me saying to myself, isn't there more to life than basketball? <laughs> but I still didn't do anything with that for about three or four three or four more years after that. But, and finally I thought, you know, I, I, you know, I'd thrown off my, my Catholic background, but I thought, you know, there's gotta be something to, you know, in religion or philosophy that can give me more meaning to life. So I started with a clean slate and just started reading anything about philosophy and religion, even non-Christian religions. And, um, I can remember in 77, finally, about five years after I graduated from high school, when I'd go to a bookstore, I'd always go to the philosophy and religion section. And I saw a book with a kind of an odd face on the cover, and it said, is this the face of Jesus Christ? Um, And it was a book about the Shroud of Turin, which I had never heard of, even though I had uh, gone to Catholic school. I mean, we we learned about Veronica's veil, which is really a legend. It's not in the Bible, but supposedly some lady named Veronica had uh, had a cloth and she met Jesus on his road to Golgotha and, and pressed the linen to his face. And it, it, it supposedly she got an image and, you know, long story short on that. That's probably a story that was invented to explain that there was a linen cloth with an image on it. Now, the story, both the book and the, the story of Veronica only deal with the face, but the Shroud of Turin actually has a full front and back image. You know, he's about six feet tall. So you see the full front image and you see the full back image because the cloth is like 14 feet long. So the the body was presumably laid on, you know, one half of it and then the other longer part of the the uh, the cloth is big enough to fold over so that it covers fully the the front and the back so i took that book home that night and read it in one sitting and i want to tell you i was just fascinated um there wasn't a lot of evidence uh back then i mean it was the cloth was fairly well known in europe but not really not in the United States. I mean, there were only a couple books available in the United States, a few articles here and there. Um, but based on the evidence back then, and that was only about a year, year and a half before the a group of American scientists called STIRP actually went over to Turin and studied it for five days. And after that is when we got the big explosion of information that we, we still deal with today. But Based on the, the scant evidence, what uh, relatively scant um, at the time, I thought the cloth that had a good chance of, of being authentic. So, um, you know, I looked at the bibliography and started 
uh, you know, looking for articles and more books and, and, and things and started keeping a collection. And, um, you know, I started out with about seven articles and I thought, wow, look at this collection. I'm getting, it was virtually nothing today. I, I probably do have one of the top one or two personal English language collection of, of shroud materials in the world. Wow. So my whole basement is, is practically a shroud museum. Absolutely divinely mm-hmm. guided. It sounds like, I mean, just like this was not popular in the United States and, and it inspired you like down to the core. That's yeah. It, it, it just totally changed my life. Um, it actually helped. Um, it, it was a vehicle for me to actually come back at least temporarily to my, my Catholic roots. And within about three years, I joined a monastery um, in St. Louis where I managed to survive for 18 and a half years um yeah it's amazing 18 and a half years (laughs) but i i don't regret it because what happened was um in 1997 i received a call from uh, a woman from ohio and um she said that she claimed that she was having these um interactions with Jesus and stuff. And I'm open to that. I mean, you got to be careful. You can't, I mean, you can't accept at face value when people say those things, but you you got to investigate it on a case by case basis. And she sounded normal. She didn't sound crazy. And um, so we started talking on the phone. She said she had survived childhood cancer and um, she was a weightlifter and um but we, you know, we had, we talked on the phone about spiritual things in the shroud and we kind of just, you know, made it a connection on the phone. And um, she was, she said she had seen a program on the shroud on TV and she wanted to learn more. And, um, I, you know, we, we continued to talk and she actually sent me a, a picture from a, of an article that was written about her in her hometown of Columbus. She had, she was running two businesses out of her home. She had two young kids. Um, her, her husband had left her a couple years before that. Hmm. And um, so she sent me um, an article that, that had a color picture of her in it. And, you know, I had no idea what she looked like, how old she was, but we, you know, we just had a good, uh, kind of spiritual connection right, right off the bat. And when when she sent me the article, I opened it and um, I, I can remember my exact words, which were, uh-oh, because here was this, <laughs> much to my surprise, here was this young looking vivacious woman, which did not match to my, you know, she said she had survived cancer. She was a power lifter. And that picture of, of her just did not match that at all. <laughs> Another life-changing <laughs> moment. <laughs> well, we got to get to our next break, Joe. We're going to yeah. be right back to finish this because this is amazing. All right, you guys, don't forget to go to HeidiHollis.com or ShadowFolks.com. Tell me your stories. Tell me what's on your mind out there. And tell me what your thoughts are about the Shroud of Turin as we continue our conversation with Joseph Marino. All right, you are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on iHeartRadio. 
and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stick around. We'll be right back. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I have Joe Marino, and he is telling us all about his really inspiring journey uh, going from a sports-loving, (laughs) music-playing, I'm sorry, enthusiast. You wish that you could play something. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But you didn't inherit that, and then you came across uh, this mother of two, single mother of two, who has this uh, fascination with the Shroud of Turin as yourself, which is uh, Sue Benford. And uh, you were impressed by her photo and knew you were in trouble, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's, yeah, the uh uh-oh just came out, and it's like, Oh, I wasn't expecting this. And, uh, you know, when you make a, a connection on one level with a person and then you add another, you know, big level like that, yeah. um, you know, you, know, you, you kind of know off the bat that things could cook, you know. Yeah. Well, how do you say Benedictine ben- monk? Benedictine monk. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, that that's that's, you know, surprising. I mean, I think mm-hmm. it surprises a lot of people. But, you know, from uh, more recent research myself and looking into uh, various topics, I've found that there's a lot of former uh, nuns and priests who, you know, start another life, you know, as one phase of their life and they move on to another. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did things uh, uh, progress between the two of you? Well, um, she um, actually asked if she could come out and visit me. And, um, you know, she did. We And then I, we eventually even met with my my personal spiritual director, who was a diocesan priest. Um, and uh, I still, uh, when I go back to St. Louis, usually every Christmas I get together with him. And um, 
he was impressed by her too. And, you know, he was in, uh, advising me to be cautious. And I, I think I was, and Sue came out several times and, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't very long before I thought, you know, and she, we were connecting really a lot on the, the shroud level in terms of wanting to do research and stuff on, we had ideas for research and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, so she came out several times and it, it, you know, even by, I say by the second time I was, uh, I already began to think that, you know, I could be in for a life change. Um, and just weird things started happening. Some people call them God winks. Some people call them synchronicities, but I want to tell you, I just, for uh, almost every day for about a year, uh, strange things would, would happen that seemed to me, seemed to, to be drawing us closer together. And, um, Eventually, I just my heart and conscience, even though it 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 surprised me as much as anybody else, my heart and conscience began to tell me that I actually needed to to leave the monastery and 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 be with her. And that's what ended up having happening. And um, I never regretted it. I mean, it was tough. Um, you know, I had expected to uh, be in that monastery for the rest of my life and everything. But in, and, and I remember the when I when I kind of reached the stage where I knew that I needed to do that, I, I went to see my, my spiritual director by myself, Father Tom, and I said, you know, he he was kind of supportive of it, and I was really kind of hoping he'd come up with a, a reason that I shouldn't do it because I was kind of apprehensive about taking that step, and um, so eventually I. I, I knew I had to do it and I've never regretted it. I mean, I eventually, I lost Sue to cancer in 2009 and, but we ended up doing really, really significant shroud work that we would have ne- never been able to have been, to have accomplished had we say, st- stayed apart. I would say, so, honestly, I mean, I, you and Sue did research that saved shroud research um to to continue to this day i mean uh i, I wish that uh, our, my show was longer sometimes that we could d- dive into uh, all the details but tell us about uh you know how that came about because so you you are so well published and you're so well researched um when it comes to the shroud of Turin and yourself and sue uh quite the team it, you, uh, it, tell us about some of the, the articles that you put out and, and how you helped you know, turn a, a lot of heads and, and minds about, uh, you know, where the research should go. Okay. Um, well, that STIRP team that I mentioned in 1978, they studied the, the shroud for five days around the clock. And um, their main mission had been to try to figure out how the image got on the cloth. And uh, they had the best science and technology available at the time. They had guys from NASA and uh, Los Alamos National Laboratory, Sandia National Laboratories. I mean, these guys, and there were a few women on the team. I don't want to give them short shrift. But, um, you know, a lot of the scientists on the team built bombs and, and put, helped put men into space. So I mean, these, these were bright guys, you know. But they couldn't figure out 
how the image got on the shroud. So the evidence seemed to be pointing that it was a unnatural um, event of some kind. And it had all the wounds. The man on the shroud has all the wounds that, that the gospels describe as having happened to Jesus. So there's that big Jesus connection. And Sterp concluded that it was not the product of an artist. Okay, they didn't, they didn't know how it got on the cloth. So from 78 to 88, you know, the world was above uh, buzz with the idea that the shroud was probably authentic. And then in 1988, the church allowed a carbon 14 dating, radiocarbon dating. And that's a whole story in itself. I wrote an 800 page book on how things got screwed up with the test. And uh, I put additional entries after the book was published and those are available online on my, on my academia page. There's just tons of information that things were just royally screwed up. Um, but the bottom line was that the, the three labs said that the shroud dated to 1260 to 1390 AD, which means obviously that would be too late to have been Jesus's cloth. And by that time I had been studying the shroud 11 years and I just, I just sort of knew that something had to be wrong with that C14 test. And I wasn't sure at, uh, at that time. So once I got together with Sue, um, at one point, um, I, I came out into Ohio in, in 1998. So about another 10 years passed after the C14. And, and during that period, everybody was saying, oh, you know, the shroud was a fake and this and that. And I guess it was around 2000, year 2000, Sue got one of her kind of spiritual insights and was told that the, that the uh, area where they took the C14 sample from was a repair. So since I had such a great collection, she had me get out some of the better pictures of that corner. And we started looking at it and stuff. And we thought we could see some um, ab abnormalities uh, in that area and different kind of the weevil would look different in places and stuff like that. So we took some high quality um, photos and she, she literally took the photos to a, a tailor downtown in downtown Columbus. He was a French, uh, a European trained um, tailor. And she showed him the picture and didn't, did not tell him that it was from the shroud. And she says, what can you tell me about this photo? And basically he said, um, well, it looks like there's been some manipulation in the area. And we thought, ah, that, that sounds interesting. So then she sent the same photos to a couple world renowned linen um, uh, companies, one in, in um, Ireland and one in uh, Albany, New York. And again, we did, we didn't tell them that it, that it, uh, that it was the shroud. So they were blinded to it. And each, each of those two also independently said in, you know, different words that basically that there was a, a repair of some kind. Uh, 
So we had three independent uh, textile experts who were blinded to the, the fact that it was the shroud, all who have said um, that they thought there were repa repairs in the area. So there was going to be a big um, international conference in Orvieto, Italy in August of 2000. And before we had that idea about that, we hadn't um, planned to attend. But once we got that idea, we said, you know, we got to go to this conference and present the paper. So we did. And, um, you know, several people told us that it was really the hit of the conference. And Barry Schwartz, who was the documenting photographer for STIRP um, and is the editor and publisher of the biggest and best shroud site, which is shroud.com. If, you, if your listeners go there, they better bring some food and snacks and drinks because you could spend <laughs> the rest of your life there. Um, so Barry put it up there. And um, uh, one of the guys on the STIRP team, whose name was Ray Rogers, he was the chemist, uh, the head of the chemist, uh, chemistry aspect of the, of the testing for STIRP. He had kind of uh, gotten out of shroud research. He he had accepted the 1988 dating results, and um, but he kept up with Barry's site. And when he saw the the paper on Barry's site, he kind of he called Barry up and and read him the riot act. Why are you publishing this nonsense? These people are part of the lunatic fringe. I can prove them prove them wrong in five minutes. And Barry oh. says, "Well, well, Ray, go." Do what you need to do, because <laughs> it was so yeah, fascinating that he was literally he had samples <laughs> from 1978 from the main part of the cloth. OK, hold, we got to hold it right there because okay. I got to get to our next break. You guys, you are listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Joe Marino. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.
Welcome back. You are listening to Dark Becomes Life with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. I have Joe Marino here who is sharing about, honestly, probably one of the greatest finds in uh, Shroud of Turin's uh, history in uh, not allowing the 1988 uh, <laughs> testing to stand. And I want you to continue where you left off there, Joe, because it's just fascinating how this came to be. Yeah. So um, so Ray Rogers thought that he could prove our theory wrong because he had samples from the main part of the cloth from 1978, and he had been given at another point some samples that were right next to the C14 sample area. So he could compare the two. And if they were exactly the same, that would show that there was no repair. So he got out his microscope and um, Barry said he, he called uh, he called Barry back about an hour and a half after he said it would take him five minutes. And he says, I can't believe it. I think they're right. He looked at both samples and he found that the, the um, area in the C14 corner was chemically different than the main part of the shroud. And then later on, he was actually given a leftover sample from the actual C14 piece. And that they had the same, it had the same characteristics as the, you know, area next to it, which he had previously had. So they were different. And then he found, he found like a dye and he found a splice linen and cotton thread, which means that cotton was used to repair that area. And they used dye to, to make the color look exactly like the original. So then that kind of makes sense because a, a big chunk had been, big portion of that corner had been taken out for relics. And if, you know, if you have a piece of linen and you have a big piece of it taken out, if you don't repair it or restore it, it unravels. Right. So it, it makes sense that um, at least some repair work was done on it to, to tidy up the corners and the, where, the, where it was cut. And uh, Ray Rogers um, wrote a uh, peer-reviewed scientific article in a high-end a chemical journal called Thermochemica Acta in January 2005, and um, he said that um, that that sample in the C14 area was different, and he, he gave some other details that we don't have time to go into now. But basically, he said that uh, the C14 sample was not valid for for being able to determine the the dating of the shroud. So in other words, that 1260 to 1390 date cannot be accepted because there was apparently, um, uh, it was a mixture of first century cloth and uh, 16th century cloth. So that kind of jump started research uh, to a degree back uh, uh, into the more research again. I mean, people hadn't stopped completely, but that it, it really did give it a boost and, and, you know, it's been full steam ahead. And since then there's been statistical studies that show that the, um, the what the labs did with the data was a little, um, uh, shall we say manipulative. Mm. They didn't, they didn't use all the dates. They threw out the bad dates when they constructed their, 
statistics to come up with a 1260 to 1390 date with supposedly a 95% right. uh, conf- confidence rate. So Wow, um, that's, that's wild. I mean, <laughs> all because Sue, your wife, mm-hmm. had a vision. And mm-hmm. and that kind of gets skipped over, do you find, uh, in the research, uh, you know, like you two having brought the attention yeah. to, to have a look at that, at, at, you know, what you what you discovered. And uh, but they, they like the nuts and bolts. They don't mm-hmm. like the, the right. spiritual insight. But uh, God, God still talks, everybody. And yeah. <laughs> Jesus is still around. And it's like that is uh, it's so amazing. And I, I, yeah. I, I seen a, a couple of. um uh, shows that has you and, and Sue speaking of your discovery and getting the credit that you deserve, but not getting the opportunity to speak to uh, it having come from a vision. Right. Yeah. Uh, people have, do have problems with that. Um, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things of human nature that some things make us uncomfortable and, and, you know, people that, supposedly get spiritual insights or yeah are one of them and so yeah people pretty just pretty much ignore that it's amazing you having the background that you that you do as a as a monk (laughs) and and being open to that i mean that's that's inspiring right there because uh, i'm a firm believer that you know we, we all get guidance and you know it's whether we pay attention to it or not and because she did, and you both having the know-how and understandings of the Shroud of Turin, that this was something important to pursue. And yeah. I mean, it, do you find, though, too, that I, I have that, uh, you know, still having to prove to people that the carbon dating was, was wrong? I mean, do you feel like oh, sure. having to cover that up, patch that up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um there's tons of still tons of YouTube videos and all sorts of things where people do not want to have an authentic shroud because um, the repercussions of that are scary for them, if, especially if they're agnostic or, or atheists. Um, so they do everything in their power to try to um, disprove it. And nobody has been able to come up with a reasonable explanation of, of how that image got on the cloth. So they just, they give a lot of half truths and falsehoods and continue to try to um, say it's nonsense. That's a shame because uh, it, it is a common uh, discussion, honestly. And I'm, I'm just like, I don't understand. Uh, you know, the, the erasing um, uh, Christ having been such a, a huge marker in the history of this planet is is absolutely in motion all the time. I mean, it's uh, BC is no longer before Christ. It's before the common era, you know, it's BCE mm-hmm. now, you know, it, it's like, why do that? And one yeah. of my, my favorite arguments, I would love to uh, tell my friends who, you know, don't believe Jesus is, <laughs> it was a, a big deal. I'm like, Oh, what's the, what's the year again? <laughs> mm. You know, we, we marked our calendars, our years to the day of, of him having passed because he was and is a big deal. Yeah, and you probably have noticed, uh, like I have, that it's amazing how how many videos and articles and, and different sites try to put forth the idea that Jesus never even existed. I mean, they, they that's how far they take it, um, you know, and that's kind of silly because, I mean, he's he's probably the best attested 
ancient figure in history. But because of the religious connections, people try to um, totally erase him from history and say he, he never existed. But, you know, the main, obviously, those are kind of people not in the main. I guess there's a few in the mainstream, but, um, yeah, it's just it's just the world we live in today. People don't want a real shroud and they don't want a real Jesus either. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a shame. But first first name out of their mouths when they're in trouble, though, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. You know, yeah. where is the where's the research going now? I mean, you're always updating something. I, I think I got a notice on my phone just now. Joe Marino updated something mm-hmm. on academia.edu. Yeah. I mean, you are constantly working. You're constantly, uh, you know, pulling in new facts and figures. Uh, where are things going now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, people are obviously um, wondering if if n- any new testing will be allowed, uh, whether there'll be another C14 test. Or, I kind of doubt if there'll ever be another C14 test, um, partly because we don't, you know, we haven't worked out all the bugs on, uh, on the old, on that system, on the C14 testing already. And then there's new new dating methods out, and those need a lot of work too. But um, I've heard that uh, even though Pope Francis has a background in chemistry, um, my sources tell me that there'll be no new testing as long as he's Pope. But, you know, he's, I think he's what, 86 or something now? Hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much longer he'll be around, but um, perhaps the next the next pope will allow testing. But, you know, one of the amazing things about the in my 800 page book is the fact that uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Pope Benedict XVI, he actually had allowed he had approved rather. Uh, Sterp to have two weeks with the shroud, including a C-14 test. And a lot of the politics and backstabbings and agendas got in the way and Sterp was eliminated from not only doing their uh, new test of uh, multidisciplinary wow. aspects, but they weren't even allowed to be uh, involved in the C-14 test, Ah. which is part of the reason there was a fiasco there. That's a shame. Well, Joe, we've got to wrap it up. How how can people get a hold of your books, your works? Uh, What's your website? My website is homestead.com slash new vistas. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the program today. This was really insightful, inspiring. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. For sure. Now, be sure to go to Amazon.com and look for Joseph G. Marino for his 2020 updated new version of his book and his other book. All right, you guys, don't forget to go to HeidiHollis.com or ShadowFolks.com. Tell me your stories. Tell me what's going on out there in the world. Tell me your thoughts, your questions, your experiences. I don't care. Throw it my way and we will take a look at it and dissect it because every other show, what do we do? We take your emails mm-hmm. and your phone calls uh, if you care to jump on an interview. I'm just joking. You guys never, ever do that. <laughs> so you're welcome. Be sure to follow me on social media at one Heidi Hollis. That is Twitter, TikTok, 
Facebook, Instagram, everything but YouTube, which is just Heidi Hollis. All right. And be sure to go to theoutlanderscomic.com for my paranormal comic strip. We have come to the bottom of another fabulous program. You have been listening to Dark Becomes Light with me, Heidi Hollis, on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. We'll see you next time. Stay safe, everybody. Goodbye. Well, if you liked this edition of Dark Becomes Light, wait till you hear the next one. You've been listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.